The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily represent Utah Valley University or the UVU Center for Social Impact. Let's get real. Talking about social issues can be intimidating and confusing. Real Talk invites listeners into candid conversations about hard topics. We talk to those that are actually living through the problems everyone is talking about. So grab a drink, grab a blanket, and start getting comfortable being being uncomfortable. Welcome back to the Real Talk podcast. This is Bree. Today, I wanted to focus on something that's very important to me, and I know it's important to Priscilla as well. The past couple weeks, Priscilla has been working extremely hard for a passion project here at UVU called the Clothesline Project. This is something that we do every year at UVU, and Priscilla worked extremely hard just to make it even more special and more powerful this year. And the the premise behind the Clothesline Project is it allows survivors of, of abuse to share their story in a very impactful way by writing and drawing on t-shirts that are then hung up at, on campus here at UVU. This year, she decided to focus on the stories of border violence here in the United States, as well as the violence and the the horrible things that happen to indigenous women here in the United States as well, um, supporting the MMIW movement. And so today I wanted to talk about how can we help those that have been through trauma and explain a little bit more about what trauma looks like. Now, to give you a little bit of understanding of my background and why I have a little bit of expertise talking on this subject. I'm definitely not the expert, but I do have a background um, and I am trauma-informed. And what that means basically is that I understand how trauma affects the body, how it affects the mind, and how to interact with those that have been through trauma. Currently, I am a student here at UVU in the Masters of Social Work program, and because of that, I have had multiple experiences of internships and different uh, criteria of just of things that I have to do in order to be trauma-informed. Now, last year, I had the opportunity to work at the Children's Justice Center That Justice Center is specifically for kids under the age of 18 that have been victims of some sort of crime. About 90% of those kids are victims of crimes that are sexual crimes, meaning sexual abuse, um, rape, even domestic violence. Today, we will be talking about some hard topics, so I do want to give a trigger warning that we will be talking about rape, sexual abuse, domestic abuse, even torture, and I want to preface that before we continue. Now, today I really wanted to focus on just giving tips to our listeners of what we can do to better support those that have been through trauma and what we can do also to just give them space to tell their story. There are differences 
between trauma. We in the mental health mental health field often say trauma with a capital T and trauma with a lowercase t. We call it big T trauma and little t trauma. Now the difference between the two um, is is a little hard to wrap your head around if you're not super familiar with trauma, but I'm going to try to explain it in the easiest way possible. Big T trauma is what I feel like most people think of when they think of trauma. We think of life-threatening events. We think of sexual violence. We think of um, death. We think of just those big, huge, scary abuse um, situations. Now, little t trauma is categorized as things that are still traumatic to a person but they may not be life-threatening. And I could go on and on about how little T trauma still is just as impactful as big T traumas, but for the sake of this podcast, I'll just explain a little bit that little T trauma are things like emotional abuse, um, things like the death of a a pet or being bullied um, if it's not physical violence. Those things over time can end up becoming a bigger traumatic and even lead to mental health disorders if they're continuous, if they're chronic. There is no need to compare big T trauma to little t trauma. Everyone's trauma is valid and their trauma response is valid as well. And today I just want to go through what are some things that we can do to help people that have been through traumatic events. My expertise has came from working with victims of sexual assault and also I currently am working as a social worker for my internship at a local high school and so I am also working with kids that are constantly being bullied um, working through traumatic um, racial um, situations and also helping kids that have been abused in the past or currently being abused. So that just gives you a little bit more background of what trauma is and why I'm informed to talk about trauma. And let's get started. So I'm going to give just a few tips, nine or 10, of what you can do as someone who is trying to support someone through trauma and how you can be helpful. The first thing I want to do is explain that it is not helpful for you to force someone to talk about their trauma. If you want to be a support for someone, you also need to recognize that they may not want you to be a support for them. They may see you as someone as a friend and maybe they just need a friend. They may not want you to be someone that they are talking about their trauma with and you need to be okay with that. It may be hard and you may be curious and I know sometimes we just want to help the people we care about, but we need to be ready to be shut down as far as being someone that someone that is ready to receive their trauma because oftentimes they don't want to talk about it with everyone. If they've reported their the crime that happened to them, often they've been talking to police. Maybe they're talking to a therapist. Maybe they're talking to people if they're a minor at school they're going to college they may be talking to the title IX office so realizing that maybe they just need a friend that acts normal around them that will do normal things with them 
just know that it is not okay to force someone to share what they've been through. Now, going along with that, if someone decides, this is tip number two, if they decide that you're someone that they want to share their experience with, it is important that you invite them to set boundaries with you. A lot of times I think how amazing would it be if we lived in a world where everyone invited people that they love to set boundaries with them. Um, Oftentimes when we are trying to set a boundary, it's not received the way we would like it to. And just imagine if everyone was like, hey, what boundaries? What boundaries do you want to set with me? That would be incredibly powerful and just change how we interact with each other as loved ones and just as humans. So don't be afraid to ask if if they say, you know what? Yes, I want you to be a part of this with me. I want you to be in my support system. Ask them, what boundaries do you want to set with me? Is there certain times that you don't want to talk about it? Is there certain things that you don't want to talk about with me? What are the things that, that I can do to support you? Trauma is different for every person. You could have two people that grew up in the same family that had the same experiences and they're going to experience trauma in two different ways. So don't make assumptions about how someone is experiencing their trauma. Just ask how you can be a support for them and they will tell you that may change over time what they need may change over time just be ready for that and just be there for them now the next tip that i have is kind of going along with this there is a book called what happened to you this book i recommend it for every single person that can read this is something that i feel like should be required reading And I'm trying to get it into as many people's hands as I possibly can. This book is written by um, a neuroscientist who is being interviewed by Oprah. So not only is it just fantastic information, it's written in the form of an interview. So the audio book is fantastic. Um, Reading it is a lot more interesting than just reading like a textbook about trauma and it really does help us to become trauma informed and realize how it affects those around us so if you can find the book what happened to you it's everywhere right now Um, the audiobook is fantastic please read it i'm going to be sharing quite a few quotes from that book as i continue to share some tips and i wanted to share this quote in particular it says the most powerful form of reward is relation. Positive interactions with people are rewarding and regulating. Without connection to people who you, who care for you, spend time with you, and support you, it is almost impossible to step away from any form of unhealthy reward and regulation. So meaning oftentimes when people go through trauma, they tend to do or have behaviors that may be seen as unhealthy and push people away. And what is extremely important as someone who's trying to support someone through that process is to continue to be there for them, spend time with them, and to be that relationship with them. And they will see success in their healing process if they have those relationships continually as they're trying to heal. relationship building I think in social impact and I'm hoping to do an episode about this later 
is one of the most important things that we can do. Um, if relationships were the priority for everyone, imagine what the world would look like. Again, if re building relationships was always the motivation, think of what the world would look like. So as you're trying to support people, think of how can I build this relationship? Now, going along with how we, how we can support there and be there for them, there, I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting with a child who is trying to explain what they've been through to their parent or to someone that they thought they can trust and the response is, well, it's not that bad. Look at the bright side. Your life could be so much worse. And there is nothing more invalidating than getting that response when you're sharing something so, um, so big of your story with someone. I want to go back to that thought of not comparing traumas to other people's traumas. I think it's important that we have gratitude and we're able to look at what we have and see, see the things that we have that we are grateful for, but that doesn't change how hard something is for us. And looking on the bright side is not what people need to hear when they're sharing their pain with you. Instead, um, what we need to do is validate. Now, this takes a lot of practice, especially a lot of times as someone who's trying to be a support, we're often in shock ourselves. Something that I don't think we talk about enough is that there is such a thing called a secondary victim. So when I was working at the Children's Justice Center, I did a lot of work with parents and oftentimes the parents were working so hard to help their kids and they were going above and beyond to do things for them. And what they didn't realize is that they have also been through something traumatic with sexual abuse, especially of children, about 90% of the time, again, that statistic keeps coming up, around 90% of the time with people that have been sexually abused, this is just in Utah County, the perpetrator or the person who is the abuser is known by the victim and is trusted by the victim. So we're looking at uncles, aunts, babysitters, teachers, neighbors, family friends, parents even. People that these kids thought they could trust are the ones that are usually the ones that are hurting them and telling them that they can't tell anybody. So what can you do to be a trusted adult? What can you do to be someone that is there for someone that has been through trauma? Teach them that they can trust again. And so being there for them and listening to them and not comparing what they've been through to other people around them is one of the most important things that you can do. Tip number six is just you need to stay calm and you need to validate. So again, like I said, this takes practice, but what this looks like, um, if someone tells you that they've been raped, what do you say? And that's a very terrifying situation. And I understand that, especially if it's not something that you hear every day. Um, what you can say is, I can't imagine what you're going through. I am so sorry that happened to you. And it's not your fault. Those simple words I found have been extremely powerful for someone to hear that has been through hell and back 
um, oftentimes they feel like it's their fault. They feel like they've done something wrong. They feel dirty. They feel they feel worthless. And just hearing the words that it's not your fault and you don't deserve that and I'm sorry is incredibly powerful and empowering for them. And it, again, as someone who's a support for someone else, it's not your job to heal them. Um, there's steps that people have to take on their own to work through their trauma, but these are the things you can do just to help support them. So validate, stay calm, and just be there for them. I don't know if anyone's ever been in a situation where they share something with someone that you may be crying and then that person starts reacting like sobbing when you may be tearing up, but they're sobbing and they're hyperventilating or they're yelling because they're extremely mad that happened to you. Now, I understand we all can, all of our feelings are valid and we are allowed to have those feelings, but it is so hard for someone to explain something that's happened to them and have their response be like this explosion of emotion in front of them because they themselves have been pushing down this emotion for so long and they don't know how to handle it. So to see someone in front of them who is like exploding is like very invalidating. And I know that may seem like contradictory to like how we may feel, but the truth is like, you can't, you can't do that in front of someone. I imagine if you went to a therapist and they started crying and sobbing and, and yelling um, during your session, it makes it more about that person than the person that's sharing their trauma. So be calm, validate, and ask, what can I do for you? What would be helpful? Now, this is something that's a little bit more practical I think, especially if you're not someone that likes talking, these are things that you can do that are going to show a huge sign of support to to the victim that you're working with. Um, offer practical support. Um, do their laundry for them. Go grocery shopping for them. Do their house chores for them. That may seem like the smallest thing, but actually doing physical things for people that are going through traumatic events is huge. Uh, they often, um, we call it comorbidity. First mental health diagnosis people think of is PTSD. Um, that's something, especially if you're working with veterans, a lot of times people say, oh, veterans have PTSD. They are reliving events over and over. So that someone may be diagnosed with PTSD and they may also have other diagnoses. So someone may be diagnosed with depression or anxiety or an eating disorder along with other disorders that are consequences of the trauma that they've been through. So understanding that they may have a lack of energy, they may not be eating they may not be taking care of themselves because they're struggling not only with dealing with the trauma that they have, but they have they have symptoms of depression. They may have symptoms of anxiety. And so they need practical help. And the best thing you can do is just offer that for them, especially if you're someone that they trust and they've welcomed you into their life as they're continuing their healing process. As you are doing this, this is another tip. Do not take their actions personally. 
I often say to my clients when we're doing therapy that I do not get offended as a therapist. In personal relationships, I do get offended. (laughs) And there are things that are hurtful and there are things that are hard that happen in relationships. That's just how they work. Okay, there's ups and downs. However, when someone is going through a traumatic event, their brain is not functioning the same way it was before. So their trauma response, the way our brains work is there's a part of your brain that is responsible for acting and helping your adrenaline to rise. I'm not going to go into everything because I know some people are probably like, I'm tuning out right now. But the way your brain works is when you're going through trauma, we often hear fight, flight, or freeze, right? You, your body start, your adrenaline rises, you start to act, you start to run, you freeze. When someone has been through trauma, a specifically chronic trauma, that part of their brain never turns off. So as they are trying to live their normal life, think of think of what your body feels like when you have adrenaline in it. And so imagine, I always say this, so imagine you see a bear in the forest. Imagine what would happen. Your heart rate would start to rise. You would, if you're someone that likes to fight, you would probably start to feel really strong. You'd start to fight this bear. You'd probably, if you're trying to run away, you would sprint, you would be sweating, you would be using all of your energy to get away from the problem that is at hand. And how do you feel right after when you realize, okay, that bear is gone? You feel exhausted. (laughs) You feel tired because your body has just went through all of these processes to keep you safe. If your brain is constantly in that state of fear, in that state of where it feels like it needs to fight, flight, or freeze, you are going to be exhausted all of the time. And so those that we are working with, those that are dealing with trauma are exhausted all of the time. Some You may realize they're forgetting things. You may realize they're not taking care of their house. You may realize that they're not putting as much energy into their relationships. Well, there's a really good reason for that. Um, and because of that, you're going to see different moods. Now, I'm going to read a few quotes from this book just again because it's amazing. And hopefully these quotes get you to be like, oh, maybe I should listen to this book. Um, There's a quote and it says, so often we use the word snapped when we don't know where a burst of anger is coming from or why someone is having a violent reaction. Well, actually, we do know the reason. Something has happened in that moment that triggers one of our brain's trauma memories. And because the lower non-rational parts of our brain are its first responders. So pause just so you understand a little bit about how the brain works. When our brain is trying to protect our bodies, it's not the most logical at that time. It's just doing what it can to get us out of that situation. So Your brain is going to respond to get you out of a situation, and even if it's not the most logical thing to do. So if our brain is using its first responders, they immediately set off stress responses that will shut off the reasonable parts of our brain. And so that burst of violence is actually a result of some highly organized processes in the brain. And in this case, um, many times people will respond by saying, what is wrong with them? So if you are with someone who has been through trauma and you constantly have the thought of what is happening right now? What is wrong with them? Why are they yelling at me? Why are they crying? Why are they freaking out? 
it is because their brain is trying to keep them safe and so do not do not take it personally if someone is acting differently around you because their brain is literally just trying to keep them safe um i often call it trauma brain many parents as well that are helping kids of sexual abuse that i worked with when i was at the children's justice center often would talk about how they as well they'd say i'm forgetting everything i'm always tired i don't know what to do and it's because they have trauma brain as well so as secondary victims we also need to recognize that we need to take care of ourselves as well so what does that look like that is difficult because every person is different however these are a few things that i've realized and that i introduce into the lives of the victims that i've worked with first of all professional help is always needed it may not always be accessible and that's a problem in our society however it is always needed because of that um you need a a trained professional that will be able to listen to you without making the mistakes that most people make that aren't trained in mental health so not only will they be able to be a valid, not only will they validate you as they're listening to you, but also they will provide skills for you to implement into your life to help train your brain that you're not always in danger. And so whether that's a individual session, if you need group therapy, there are so many options for group therapy that not only help teach you skills, but also provide an added support into your life. Um, another powerful tool um, if you don't have access to mental health um, treatment books books can be extremely helpful for you go to your local library and ask the librarian what do you have that teaches about trauma what do you have about sexual abuse what do you have about this they will be able to provide literature or even movies or documentaries that may be able to help give you just more information to better understand the problem um, as well using things like mindfulness. I know a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear that word, but it is extremely helpful to use things like meditation. Um, if you're religious, you can use your kind of prayer that you use in your religion. Um, you can use guided meditation, which you can find on YouTube for free. There are things everywhere that can help you as you're learning to heal from your trauma. Um, One of the last things that I just want to talk about here on the podcast is the traumatic event in and of itself of reporting a crime. Now, um, I think growing up, whenever we had trainings in school about like what to do if someone hurts you, it always was talk to a police officer. Um, As someone who I've worked with police officers in every social work aspect that I have worked in, um, it is very, reporting the crime is important because then we can eventually hopefully um, get this person into a place where they can't hurt anybody else. However, it is not easy. So do not pressure anyone to report a crime. 
um, when someone is has gone through sexual abuse in particular, the first thing that will happen is they will be taken to a hospital where they will be scrutinized. Their body will be looked at by strangers. Um, they will try to take samples from the body. They will um, take your clothes. They, and that is a very that can be very traumatic. I also know that there are very well-trained professionals at most hospitals that try to make this an as as sensitive as possible of a process. However, that's not always the case. And so, if you are scared to report, that is a valid scare, scary thing to think about. Um, and no one should judge you if you don't report immediately. Again, um, so not only is that kind of terrifying, you have to share every detail that you remember from the crime, which is almost as hard as going through the traumatic event itself. Um, in some cases, your testimony can be recorded so that you don't have to do it again. Most of the time, it has to be told again and again and again. And you may be in front of the defense attorney that is trying to protect your abuser, that is scrutinizing your testimony and picking out details that they feel like aren't true and calling you a liar or trying to say, oh, well, you said he had a blue shirt. He was actually wearing a red shirt that day. Isn't that right? So just that in and of itself is traumatic. So and there are times when police officers don't believe victims or they side with the abuser. Um, we see in the news, I, the most recent event I can think of is the Gabby Petito case. Um, the officers let her go. Um, after they knew that he was abusing her, nothing was done. So it's not like this isn't common. It happens all of the time. So just remember as we're working with victims not to pressure them into doing anything that they don't want to do and that it's a very traumatic experience to report. I do encourage um, if you feel comfortable and you feel like you have a support system and you feel like you want to report the crime, I hope you feel empowered to do that. And if you need help, um, feel free to send us an email at realtalkuvu at gmail.com if you need resources to help you um, get to that point. You can also go to the Title IX office at UVU. Um, some other resources in the area just to help you, um, the refuge, um, police stations. You can also go to um, any... Family Justice Center or Children's Justice Center. You can also, um, every adult in Utah is called a mandatory reporter, which means if they hear of any abuse to a child or if they um, know of abuse to a vulnerable adult, they are required to report it to the police. Not everyone knows that, but if you're listening now, you do. Please report crimes if you hear them so that we can help those that are going through these traumatic events not feel alone. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope that you were able to learn something new and that you feel a little bit more comfortable being uncomfortable sitting with the feelings of those that have been through traumatic events. Thank you again, and keep it real.